candy corn. Here, let me help you to finish it. It's the best forgotten movie. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Forgotten Movies. I'm Gareth Green and joining me as always is my co-host Andrew Phillips. Hello. And this week it's part two of our animation double bill. We're looking at Disney Pixar's A Bug's Life. Hello. From the creators of Toy Story. To infinity. And beyond. Comes an all new motion picture event. Walt Disney Pictures presents a Pixar Animation Studios film. No, Harry, no. Don't look at the light. I can't help it. It's so beautiful. tell you how things are supposed to work. The ants pick the food. The grasshoppers eat the food. It's a bug-eat-bug world out there. Someone could get hurt. He's quite the motivational speaker, isn't he? Let's ride! (laughs) It's the same year after year. They come, they eat, they leave. That's our lot in life. It's not a lot, but it's our life. (laughs) I've got an idea. We can find bigger bugs to come here and fight. Now, why didn't I think of that? Oh, because it's suicide. What they needed was some help. Ah! You're perfect. What they got... Popcorn, snail popcorn. ...was a bunch of clowns. We're losing the audience. Get out there now. They'll only laugh at me. That's because you're a clown. You parasite. Circus bugs. Hey, I thought you were warriors. Hey, cutie. What a holiday with a real bug. Being a ladybug automatically makes me a girl. Christ, she's a guy! Come on, Francis, you're making the maggots cry. (laughs) Walt Disney Pictures presents... I'm desperate! I couldn't tell! A Pixar Animation Studios film... This was not supposed to happen! Squish him. Run for your lives! An epic... I think I'm going to bet myself. Okay. ...of miniature proportion. We don't serve grasshoppers for the colony and for oppressed bugs everywhere! Hello there, curly bug. Shoe fly, don't bother me. A bug's life. Coming to theaters this Thanksgiving. Hey, turn your butt off. Okay, so yeah, we're going to be moving on to A Bug's Life. It's everything that ants wanted to be but couldn't really... Partly because of the ethos of the studio, but also because of the time they had to really make the film and also make it with honest intentions. When we were watching it yesterday, like almost from the very first shot, you can really immediately tell that this was a different mindset that's mm-hmm. been behind this film. And it really felt like a proper film. Yeah. Because you were talking about Ants as well, a bit looking a little bit like Jimmy Neutron. Yeah, it feels like a Nickelodeon-esque TV series, um, one of those ones from like 10 years ago, where the animation is all rough around the edges and everything's a bit too blocky. Whereas you look at A Bug's Life and it's still achingly gorgeous. Mm. I mean, obviously Pixar have gone on in leaps and bounds since then, just as they did between Toy Story and A Bug's Life. But even looking back at it now and looking at the it, it textures really and up. looking at the colours, it's it's 
it's a beautiful film. I mean, they're proud of all their films, but I think from a lot of the guys, it was the first film that a lot of the people that are in the studio now, that's the film they started on because when they did Toy Story, they had a very, very, very small crew. Yeah. It does hold a very special place in their hearts. It really established the company properly in terms of being a multi-picture company rather mm-hmm. than just working on this one film. Yeah, I mean, because Toy Story, they had all the time in the world to work on the story, to get it right, to keep going back to the drawing board and whatnot. And until they had the story right, and I know that that changed completely because yeah, it had, had a, su- such a kind of torturous production history, actually. Very much so, yeah. But people look at it like that, like, oh, you've had all the time in the world, these are ideas that have been kicking about for decades and yeah, whatnot. And you've had all the time to refine them in your head, whereas with A Bug's Life, it's like, okay, when's your next film? And the thing is, obviously, they've had a couple of blips of recent years, but even with those, I mean, probably the only exception to the rule really is Cars 2, which is uh, a real misstep on their part. But yeah. Even those films have a lot going for them, and they make it look so easy. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what people forget about Pixar, and the fact that they've had such a successful run mm-hmm. of films, critically and commercially, and that they make it so easy. So when they do stumble, people really hit on them hard. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's again, it's that comparison thing, isn't it? It's because they're being compared against the films that they've made. They're just so kind of... Yeah, they're so revered, and... Even if there's a slight dip in quality, people are going to notice. And they, like you say, they come down on it much harder because they're constantly comparing it to what are essentially animated masterpieces. It's like I, I constantly heard about, um, in reference to Monsters University, people saying, well, it's not Wally, is it? It's like, of course not. Of course it's not Wally. It's not trying to be Wally. <laughs> no, it kind of succeeds on its own, yeah. on its own mission statement, its own merits. I'd say probably apart from Cars 2, every single film they've made has something definite to say. And I think that's the real difference between mm-hmm. the two films. Like Ants just doesn't know what it wants to say. No, it really doesn't. And it's, it's actually kind of haphazardly slapped together in that way. It's got all these things going on. It's constantly saying stuff about individualism, about trying to break the mold, about trying to be your own person. And it's got these political things that just kind of hang there that don't actually go to add anything much to the story or impact it in a significant way. And it's just a lot of elements that don't add up to much. Whereas with A Bug's Life, yeah, it all feels purposeful. Everything's got a purpose. Everything feels like it's contributing to the story and to the characters and to the end goal, to the arcs, to the development. Everything feels like it's there for a reason. And even in the first five minutes, you've got so many setups that come to pay off later on, but the setups are there to demonstrate who these characters are, and then later on, they demonstrate what these characters have become. It's so good in that way. In contrast to the opening scene of Ants, which does have some visual elements, obviously involving the city turning into grass, But yeah, it's mainly dialogue-driven, and it's not very dynamic. We cut to the opening of Bug's Life, which, even from the first shot, sets the tone of the film beautifully. No, you feel like it's a great American adventure straight from the get-go. Yeah, Uh, with Randy Newman's music there. Yeah, so the whole intro of the film is is really visual. You probably don't get any dialogue at all for at least two or three minutes. And within that time, you really get to see how the colony works, what it's actually doing, and how they do it. And the funny thing is, the first time you get dialogue is when the leaf falls on top of the line, and then you get the dialogue. It's kind of to draw the chaos yes. that, that ensues because of this leaf. Yeah, because these are characters that can't 
really adapt to disruption and that comes into play later on when suddenly they're forced to adapt to <laughs> yeah and it almost feels like they wouldn't even be talking to each other unless this leaf had fallen because yeah. if they if that leaf hadn't fallen they would have just gone on with their duties and none of them would have talked to each other and it would no. just be like an autonomous thing that's immediately just sets it apart from ants and the way they've decided to tell the story even the shot choices feel far more dynamic there's a sweeping nature to some of the shots in terms of... It feels like there's more of a shot variation and it plays less on just bland close-ups. Yeah, everything yeah. just seems more planned and, again, it's that old adage of every picture tells a story. I, I just feel like there's nothing really wasted in this film. Like Every mm-hmm. single shot is there for a particular reason. It's just much more assured in its approach and what it wants to do. In terms of the visual look of the film, it's definitely got a much more varied colour palette. I was going to talk about ants' colour palette as well. Like, a lot of the times in the film, I can only describe ants as being very brown. Yeah, it becomes um, very boring very quickly in terms yeah. of the visual colour palette. Whereas with Bo's Life, the colour palette's very diverse. Yes. Uh, it feels very lush. And the lighting as well, in terms of how those colours are presented. Yeah, I know that to get those perspectives, they took a little um, pencil cam and stuck it on a piece of Lego yeah. and then rolled it around the garden in front of the studio just to see what it would look like when it was sunny they could really see how fluorescent all these plants were under the sunlight and how see-through they were and everything yeah and they really took that on board when they were designing all the sets for the film yeah so you really get this sense of the light shining through all the trees and the plants and the leaves and it really becomes a really really colorful world it does it feels like a colorful and living world it does feel like it's alive again in contrast to ants there's so much detail in, in all the background elements, including the background characters. And because everything's designed in a certain way, it really feels like the ants are part of that world. All the bugs are part of that world and they're not disconnected yeah. from it. Yeah, they all feel very rooted in that environment. There's no divorce between the foreground and background. Everybody feels a part of everything. You feel like they're walking on the floor and moving pebbles with their feet. This is just a note for like UK listeners, but all the ants are, are blue and they all looked a bit like... Um, I don't know why they just remind me of Cadbury's mini eggs in terms of their <laughs> in terms of their skin, like their casing. Yeah. It just looks like you could just tap their skin and like chocolate will be underneath or something like that. <laughs> I don't know why, but they do look visually quite different to the ants in ants, which is fine. Which is what we want. We want to see differences between the two. But the ants in a bug's life, there's so much more to them in terms of texture, in terms of the wrinkles on the faces. Whereas in ants, if you look at, for instance, Weaver's character, a lot of his faces a haze almost yeah and you were saying last night as well like the character design in bugs life seems to really be slightly more traditional and that kind of almost like warner brothers yeah it does it feels like a uh, like a looney tunes some of the design that's gone into it makes me feel like traditional animation it, it's all there even though this is reshaping what traditional animation is it still feels very rooted in what has come before it, in what is previously shaped animation, it still feels very much informed by that, by history. Mm. Yeah. Again, mainly visually as well, you can really sense that the ant's lot in life is very clear and very simple, Mm. uh, and it's played out in a much more effective way, because in ants you just don't really know the mechanics properly of, of how this colony works and why they're doing what they're doing and everything. Whereas the ants in Bugs Life are literally just there to serve the grasshoppers. They have to collect food for them, they visit, they eat, they leave, and they're protected 
it's a very much like a mafia thing. Well, in the first five minutes, it may be not even five minutes, everything is set up. We yeah. know who the bad guys are. We know what their goal is. We know why they're doing it and what they get out of it. We know why the ants are doing it and what they get out of it. And like you say, it has that mafia element to it in terms of protection, that whole idea. Yeah, but it's it, like protection it, money, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. It's, it is protection money, but it never draws on it in a way that you could see DreamWorks doing it in Ants where they would make some really clumsy Goodfellas reference. It feels a lot more subtle than that. It never draws on the idea that, oh, look, we're getting this for you. And they probably have films. De Niro and yeah, well, all that. They'd make it the mafia. Exactly, yeah. Like they did in Shark Tale. And yet it's inspired by those ideas, but completely and utterly its own thing. Yeah. And five minutes in, we know what everybody wants and what, who everybody is and where they're going. Whereas with Ants, 50 minutes in, you still don't even know what the bad guy wants out of the film. So uh, we come on to the character of Flick and... Um Again, he's introduced entirely visually. And from the get-go, we know that he's a very inventive character, but he's reckless. Yeah. He has a very reckless nature. So he's really inventive. He's invented this uh, seed collecting mm-hmm. unit on his, that he carries on his back, but he kind of doesn't always think about how it affects other people. It's almost like his excitement has got the better of him. Yeah. In terms of he does have something that does later on come back into the film as to be used for good, um, as all of his things do. He's at the centre of what is essentially an industrial revolution. Yeah. But because he's so enthusiastic about using it and so over-the-top excited, he just... <laughs> He doesn't have control of it. No, uh, no. And it, it, the way that he's introduced is, again, purely visual. We know who he is and what he's doing, the type of character he is, before he's even uttered a line. And before you even see his face. Yes. And again, all these setups pay off because the machine that he's invented obviously is there to show his character, but it's also a very effective narrative device into altering his circumstances. So the idea is that the grasshoppers are about to arrive and everybody's rushing around like crazy uh, and they're calling everyone into the actual anthill and Flick is late and he's rushing around and he inadvertently, again, this is another character trait, just dumps his machine on the actual ledge where all the food is prepared. The uh, spring activated bit activates again and ends up causing all the food to actually fall into the moat around the island. Yeah. Which obviously just sets the whole story off. So in that way, uh, you've got one device doing two things in the film yeah and that happens time and time again in the whole film where things are set up in of themselves and then they come to play a much bigger part later on absolutely the introduction of the grasshoppers is done entirely visually before we've even seen them we see the shadow and we hear them that sound of like ominous drone exactly yeah like an approaching bomber so it's already drawing those ideas just in terms of the film language it's already taking your knowledge of the blitz and using that saying you know listen to this it's Mm. exactly that and you don't actually see them until they break through the earth to get down into the underground area of of the island at this point we're introduced to the character of hopper who's the leader of the grasshoppers and he's played by kevin spacey now kevin spacey was fairly well known i wouldn't say he was like completely a-list because this was actually pre-american beauty but he was obviously known very much for usual suspects and yes. la confidential and obviously seven yeah he was a star at the time in terms of he had broken through but it isn't a stunt casting he still feels very much 
suited to that role. You can talk about Hopper without having to call him the character played by Kevin Spacey. Mm-hmm. He is a self-contained character in his own right. He could have been played by somebody else. Yeah. It wouldn't have mattered too much. Kevin Spacey does it well, but it could have been played by another actor quite yeah. easily. I'd say that in DreamWorks' hands, this is like we were saying before, it would be the Robert De Niro character drawing on that whole mafia element with the little dimple on his face and it'd be all, are you looking at me and stuff like this. Yeah. <laughs> They've absolutely gone the other way and made them their own thing. They've really made it more like a, a Western at this point. Yeah. So it's like a mafia setup, but it's done more like a Western. So the grasshoppers are kind of kitted out either like bikers, but they could also be kitted out as if they're almost like horsemen of the apocalypse mm. or something like that. There's a lot of those parallels going on. And I mean, even later on in the film, you do see them in a place which looks like south of the border. Mm. This is how they introduce the character of Hopper before he even speaks. You know that all the other grasshoppers are fearful of him and he is the alpha grasshopper mm-hmm. and he has to do very, very little to enforce fear into the hearts of everybody around him. Because all he's doing, he's very, very mundane, just walking around, everybody moves for him and everything's just done with his eyes and his movements. Yeah. Back then, did they use mocap as a way to inform the uh, final animation? They wouldn't have used anything like that. They would have used a lot of reference footage. I mean, they never use mocap at all in any of Pixar films. Don't they? They okay. don't use anything. Everything's just reference. This is not a new thing. They, they've done this since the early days of Disney. Mm-hmm. They actually have in Pixar, they actually have a mirror room. So they have a room with a camera. There's mirrors all the way around the room. And then the animators themselves will act out the movements because everything they do is known as keyframe animation, where they still animate it frame by frame. Yeah, it almost forces the animators to be actors themselves. Well, animators have always been coined as uh, actors with pencils, and obviously yeah. at this stage it's actors with computers. Yeah. And so really all they're doing is just updating the tried and tested methods that were invented in the Disney studio during the 1930s up to the 1960s, really. Mm-hmm. The grasshoppers do leave Ant Island and suddenly they don't have enough grain to both feed the grasshoppers double the amount that they want and feed themselves over the winter. And it's Flick that comes forward and it's during his trial. This would be a good time to talk about the character of Princess Atta. And she's in a place where she's just about to take over from the Queen. Yeah. But it looks like she's very, very nervous about taking over and she's very unsure of herself and she needs advice from everybody. What they decide in this council meeting is to send Flick away to look for help, expecting him not to return, really. Yeah, they really they, just they want really to get him out of the pitch, off the picture, don't yeah. they? This basically sets Flick off on his little journey. And that is when we come to being introduced to the travelling circus. Yes. P.T. Flea Circus is made up of a variety of insects. You've got a stick insect, you've got a black widow, a ladybug who has um, gender issues. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, from the get-go, you know pretty much what every character is about. They're introduced in a scene that is probably the most laugh-out-loud hilarious scene in the film. Just in terms of their interactions with each other, everything's so funny, and I love P.T. Flea's complete and utter exasperation and exhaustion in mm. trying to get these people to just go out there and be funny. <laughs> and he's having such a hard time about it, and he's so angry and so exhausted by them. And it just makes me laugh every single time. Everyone's done so well, and the fact that this is actually one of the times I've probably got to criticise it, most of the characters are done so well that some of the ones are not quite as well-rounded do stand out a little bit. There's the character of, I think it's Rosie, 
Who's the spider? Yeah. I couldn't really describe her. She has some parts of playing Flaming Death and stuff. I'd say that's probably one of the rare moments in this film where she's there to serve certain purposes. Like, she's there to help build the bird yes. in terms of her web and everything. So that's kind of a minor criticism because I'd say everyone else in the troupe is so great. She is very much a secondary character anyway. Yeah. Um, she's like a secondary character of the secondary characters. It's, <laughs> she's Yeah, because all the other main characters have really... Um, clear objective like Heimlich really wants to be a butterfly but he mm-hmm. just can't stop eating Slim really can't stand being what he is mm. and he wants to be utilised more as a serious actor Francis wants to be recognised as being a masculine character yeah yeah everyone else in that troupe is really well defined but I'd say Rosie's definitely the weak element in that group yeah so these characters are introduced via a very elaborate sequence <laughs> involving um, the sequence is called Flaming, Flaming Death, Death, which is, yeah, very well choreographed. It's a Rue Goldberg-type mechanism where everything can go wrong and will go wrong. The bugs get it wrong because they're so nervous about being in these roles, and they're all very insecure. So they, they burn PT3, and because of that, he fires them, and they're all down and out, and then they end up in the bar, which mm-hmm. is where Flick finds them. So all these elements are there to really drive the story forward. They're not yeah. just there to be funny. It's all in service of the story. Yeah. Like, it, it moves the story on, it moves the characters on, it puts them in certain places, it puts everybody in the right places. Uh, again, everything serves a purpose. Yeah. It's not just there to be there. Yeah. To hanging about. And I feel at this point as well, there's much better bug centric jokes. Like oh, the, yeah. the the flies are, are really funny. I just love the line of like, I've only got twenty four hours to live and I ain't gonna waste it here. <laughs> All that kind of stuff. And obviously the Harry Don't Look at the Light, which is on the trailer. Yeah. Like It's so beautiful. Yeah. Can't help it. There's a real sense of fun oh, in yeah. the film. Not just up on the screen, but you get a strong sense that the production team was having a lot of fun whilst making this yeah. film. You can visualise people coming up with this stuff and laughing themselves silly because they get these characters and they get they get the story. Yeah, it's so much fun. Whereas with Ants, you just feel like the animators just had a gun against their head when they were doing it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It just doesn't have that sense of fun in it. No, it doesn't have a personal touch to it, Ants. No. It doesn't feel like it's a personal project or a passion project for anybody involved. It feels like it's a job. It's a paycheck. Whereas with A Bug's Life, you get a sense of personality from it and a warmth to the imagery that's just not apparent elsewhere. Yeah. So this draws us on to the city sequence, which, yeah, this whole city is underneath the caravan. Incidentally, the caravan itself will feature again, which is at the end of Monsters Incorporated. So Randall when, when the character there, yeah. of Randall gets thrown through the door for the last time and he ends up in a swamp and it's all done in silhouette and then um, somebody talks about, oh, there's a gator in the van that's yeah. and then he gets knocked out. But that's exactly the same caravan, which I know there's somebody who's made some really weird convoluted theories to how all these <laughs> Pixar films are connected. I'm, but they're really not. They're just there as in-jokes and like little visual references to prior films. Flick enters the city and again it's made up out of boxes and household objects in real contrast to the picnic scene in Ants where all the um, objects in the picnic scene are actual brands and it's all product placement. All of the brands that are on display in the city in Bugs Life are all made up and half of them are actually just there as tributes to the people who've worked on the film, like uh, soap flakes or a detergent, which is called Dala. And uh, Dala alludes to Dala K. Anderson, who's one of the producers on the film, who's also gone on to produce 
Toy Story 3, amongst others. So there's all these kinds of little in-references and in-jokes in the films. And again, it could have been one of those things where they could have been really cynical and had all those crates being product placement and had, course, and yeah. had real objects. Yeah, they could have really chipped away at the budget with making some product placement deals but instead they've opted to maintain the integrity of the story and of the picture over making a little bit of money Uh, which obviously makes the film last longer it makes it more timeless because it doesn't feel tied down to brand names this whole sequence is designed to draw flick and the circus troupe together so they both end up in a bar Flick's just there because he's looking through places and they're just there because they're sort of moping because they've been fired. And that sequence leads on to a... And, well, a it la- does have the best poo joke in oh, that as well. of the two of them it definitely does. Yeah, in that sequence. <laughs> so the poo-poo, the poo-poo platter. platter. <laughs> and, uh, honey, I said no salt! <laughs> With the slug. So, uh, yeah, there's a couple of those little things in there as well. Uh, again, just loads of detail in the backgrounds and, and you can really sense that that's a real working bar. Yeah, yeah, there's so much going on in terms of the it's imagery. It's so dense. It's so dense. It almost feels like you could tell other stories in these places because there are other stories going on in the backgrounds. There's so much thought and love and care and attention gone into creating every single one of these shots mm. and these environments. Then it shows and it pays off in a big way. Within a sequence, you can see how the, the circus troupe act well together when they're defending themselves against the flies who have come back because earlier in the circus scene Francis has offended some flies yeah. and they come back with a much bigger fly to try and beat them up and then they sort of work together and get themselves out of this situation mm-hmm. and throughout the sequence they get themselves mixed up with Flick and because the flies are still in pursuit of them they decided to take the job and go with Flick Yeah. so this is basically the point where they return back to the island to present themselves and obviously the circus buggers are under the delusion that they're being hired as entertainers and Flick thinks they are trained warriors. It's like a Three Amigos type uh, misunderstanding Mm. where each party thinks that there's something completely different going on. Yeah, and I know that this point, this particular idea, the idea that Flick gets the wrong people was pretty much the inception of the whole film. Yeah. The ants weren't expecting Flick to return and actually succeed in what he's meant to be Mm -hmm. doing. They have like a big celebration, and there's a really good sequence involving um, the uh, skill players. Yeah, we've not mentioned Princess Dot either, who's also got a really good setup. She's like the younger, very, very much younger sister of Princess Atta, and again, played by a very, very young Hayden Panettiere. She has this uh, blueberry scout troop thing. They're involved in this little, like, elaborate school play. Uh, yeah. of the warriors and <laughs> which is also quite disturbingly gruesome <laughs> and, the fun, and the funny thing is I mean it's one of those things that can be translated in any language as well because you have those kinds of there's this little kid who obviously wanted some better lines yeah. and is just like who will save us poor ants yeah. he's obviously really not happy about it he probably wanted the main part <laughs> and there's just little stories like that that go out through the whole film yeah even later on when the kids are supposed to be dead you've got that kid that can't keep his eyes closed yeah. so he's too busy opening them to look about and see who's watching them it's perfectly really captured yeah. it. it's, it's that attention to detail yeah. that's just completely missing from ants it serves a really good story point because obviously this makes the circus bugs realise that they're not there to entertain and they're there to fight these grasshoppers and they start having second thoughts uh-huh. and they sort of slip out the back door and then Flick finds out that they're the wrong people and then at this point this is where the um, Flick and Princess Atta story really starts because she's kind of more and more intrigued with Flick because he's actually succeeded in what she set him mm-hmm. and he's shown himself to be more than what she thought he was yeah the really great thing about this as well is that the story between them is played out very slowly and naturally whereas with the ants barla z partnership 
it just seems to happen all of a sudden. Mm. And we kick off another sequence involving a bird, which is exciting in of itself and functions as your mid-act two break, but also pays off majorly in relation to setting up the fake bird that they build later. And also the conclusion involving Hopper and this exact same bird. On a character level, it develops the circus bugs as they prove themselves worthy of the task in hand. And this also validates Flick, especially for Princess Atta. Yeah, it does, yeah. So in this way, it works on many levels while still continuing to push the story forward in an entertaining way. And the bird has already been set up as being something that Hopper is terrified of. Which again, it just feeds into that whole idea that nothing is a waste in this film. Absolutely nothing. Um, Even this mid-second act break is pure setup for the rest of the film. It it all hinges on this. There's nothing that's just there to uh, be there. Yeah. It it all works as a functioning part of a greater machine. And also I wanted to mention in that sequence as well, there's a moment where Princess Atta is going to be talking to the rest of the crowd, but then Flick just immediately invents uh, a megaphone for her. So it's really great in terms of showing how throughout the whole film they stay true to that character and he's always inventing something in the moment and this happens so many times in films where you establish a character and they do a certain thing and then they just suddenly stop doing it for Mm -hmm. whatever reason whereas with this film they they have him inventing things and thinking about things and having a creative personality all the way through the whole film yeah so this is the turning point obviously because the, the circus bugs think yeah we've been through that we can do this so we'll stay and then obviously everyone's convinced that they are the highly trained professionals that they've <laughs> yeah. been alluded to in the first place. So they abandon the plans of getting more food for the grasshoppers and concoct this very elaborate plan of creating a fake bird. All the, the circus bugs and all the ants come together. They work well as a team. And obviously this is where the, the, the romance between Flick and Atta really develops at this point because she can see how much she's he's changing the culture of the ant of Ant Island for the better. Yeah, I mean, at this point, Ant Island has never seemed so much fun. Even when we're first introduced to them at the very beginning, they're very almost monotonous until, obviously, the disruption. Life there doesn't feel like it's great. It's in service of some fearful enemy. Mm. Whereas when Flick comes back and he gives him, he almost gives him a greater purpose to overthrow their rulers, almost. And almost treat the grasshoppers in a way that They've been treated by them, ruled by fear. He uses that against them. Yeah, yeah. We switch to south of the border, back to the grasshoppers. This is where you really get the character motivation even further because a lot of the other grasshoppers are thinking, like, why do we need to go back? We're the big daddies anyway. But then obviously Hopper has has this thought that we need to keep the ants in line. Yeah. They outnumber us 100 to 1. We have to put them in their place because if they ever work out that they can be mightier than we are we're screwed yeah their way of life is just over yeah and it's just really clean really simple and that's why they're gonna go back see this is what i like about a bug's life is we do get a sense of who the grasshoppers are what their goals are where they're going and whatnot from the very beginning of the film this is just an addition to that Mm. It's, it's not like with ants where we don't find the motivation behind it till 10 minutes from the end yeah this is an addition to what we already know and what we're already comfortable with it also reinforces Hopper's position within the group and how he has a hold over them. And then also it just gives you a nice little flavour of how they're like when they're not being so scary yeah. because they're all, you know, a lot of them are just idiots anyway. So yeah, Exactly, like. yeah. <laughs> and he's like the only really intelligent one of them. But it also sets them out as being 
as the grasshoppers themselves being afraid of Hopper. It's almost like that group in itself is ruled by fear and Hopper knows no other way to rule than with fear. They decide to go back. The bugs and everybody, they're really, really confident that this is going to work. And they're almost in a state where they're in a relaxed fashion. The bird's ready. We're just waiting for them to come now, but Mm. they're not scared of them anymore. They have so much belief in that Slick's plan is going to pay off. Yeah. That they have no reason to fear the grasshoppers. Petey Flea enters the scene to completely (laughs) ruin everything again. Because obviously in this time, Flaming Death has become a huge hit apparently and then like the next day there was a huge line of people waiting for this and flaming PT death. Flea's got the idea that if he just sets himself on fire two times a day and takes <laughs> one day to recover yeah. he can become a millionaire. So there immediately find out. And it's a good way in a way to show how fickle the ants can be in terms of how uh, they switch immediately to the negative side because they're circus bugs even though they've already achieved mm-hmm. quite a lot. Yeah everything's in place to already work and everybody believes in the plan. Nothing has changed in that regard. The plan is still exactly the same. And yet it's their belief in Flick that has changed completely. Princess Atta and Flick's relationship hits rock bottom and she asks him to leave permanently with the bugs and all is lost. But as we were saying last night, Ants doesn't really have a rock bottom moment. There no. is no moment where it seems all to the start odds are in the rock against. bottom for, yeah. for Z character. He already seems to like be in a bad point for himself in terms of him seeing his therapist. But the no, the no... only rock bottom a moment you can argue is when Princess Bala gets stolen by Cutter again and then gets sent back to the colony. That's about it, really. Yeah, I'd say, yeah. They're a rock bottom, and then it's kind of up to Princess Dot to come to the rescue, because by this point, the... Um, the grasshoppers return. They've not had enough time to get the food. They mm-hmm. dump the food anyway. And then they're basically ruling under an iron fist. Yeah, and they're eating all the ant supplies for the winter, knowing that they'll probably starve. The whole bird idea has been completely abandoned at this point. They just don't have any faith in it anymore. And meanwhile, Flick isn't there because he's been exiled with Mm. the rest of the circus troupe. It got to the point where Princess Dot, she is able to actually go to Flick and convince him to come back. Mm -hmm. They tie up P.T. Flea in the van. Of course. And then they basically come back and masquerade as a circus, sort of playing to their strengths in a way, to to act as a diversion whilst Flick and the the Blueberry Troop climb up the tree and get into the bird. They also dispatch the Queen and get her out of sight because the end game of this is that Hopper's going to kill the Queen. Yeah, they're going to make an example. Example of the Queen to put everybody back in their place again, really. Yeah. The grasshoppers get uh, distracted by the circus bugs, although Hopper's immediately suspicious when uh, the queen doesn't return out of the disappearing act. But then it's at this point where the bird is activated. Yeah. It does its job really well. And Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the grasshoppers scarper and the character of Maltese, Hopper's brother, literally jumps out of his shell. And like even a little comic moment like that is actually seeded much earlier on where you can see that he's a half-wit brother, but he's also actually got a, a very strange skin condition. Yeah, he's just molting throughout, yeah. 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 Obviously, things have to go wrong with the bird idea, because yeah. who... The other characters are pretending to be dying Oh, why? Yeah, as well. Nice. So I think the bird knocks over the van, Yeah, and then P.T. flees released, and he can see his circus troop dying, and with it, his dreams of the big time. So using the matches from Flaming Death, he sets fire to the bird. Flick and all the Blueberry gang have to get out the bird, and obviously the whole facade's been revealed. Yeah. This is a real tipping point, because Hubba can't quite believe that they've had the nerve to like go against him. And there's a scene as well where Flick actually stands up to Hopper and is beaten 
quite brutally, but it's yeah. all played in cutaways. But it still feels like quite brutal. Yeah. And then it starts to rain, and that disrupts everything. Before this happens, they actually get to the point where they can, they can actually physically, in numbers, stand up to Hopper. And they've realised it. They get to the point where they're just about to uh, off Hopper in the little air cannon. Then obviously the rain arrives and disrupts that, and then Hopper's able to grab, is it Flick? Yeah, he's, yeah. he's able to grab Flick and make an escape, um, intending to kill Flick along the way. Yeah, Princess Atta and the other circus bugs have to chase after him. And this is where the theme of the bird comes in for the third time. So at the end of this sort of little chase sequence through the rain and through the branches, they end up near the bird's nest. So the bird that was actually in the sequence in the middle of the film yeah. it's near her nest with her babies. And this is where the fake bird theme comes back into play because this is almost the final deception of Hopper because he actually thinks that this real bird is actually a fake bird and he kind of coaxes it on thinking that, oh, it's just lots of little children inside. Mm. And this is where Hopper undoes himself. Yeah. He becomes overconfident in his abilities. And he's dealt with, with a horribly fitting death. But in contrast to Ants, it's done again off screen. You don't see any of it. You just get the no, idea of it. it's done through a POV. It's done through a POV, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. You, don't, you don't get to see anything groovy or anything like that. Whatever it is in your own imagination is always far worse far than worse. What, they, what they would ever depict on screen. And I love that they pick something as innocent and unthreatening. Yeah. As, as this little bird and its little chicklings. Just really great juxtaposition in that kind of uh, sense. That basically brings us to the end of the film where the ants are able to enjoy life as they did in the middle of the film, really, where they've they've really embraced Flick and his new ideas and, and have become much more at ease with their place in the world. Yeah, and they've become more, like, industrially proficient as well. Yeah, because um, Flick has induced this industrial revolution, which they are now uh, utilising, because they've all yeah. got these little uh, grain-extracting devices, which means they can get the food for themselves much quicker, so they have mm-hmm. more time for leisure. And doing well, other things. They believe in him now as well, and they yeah. believe in his ideas, and they're there to kind of nurture these great ideas out of him. Whereas before, because it was a society ruled by fear, they did not like Flick because he thought differently, because they were too busy being scared to pay thought to his ideas. Yeah. So the circus bugs, uh, they're going to leave, and the queen hands over her role to Princess Atta, so she finally becomes the queen that mm-hmm. that she's that she was going to be at the beginning of the film, but with a lot more confidence than she would have been at the start yeah. of the film. Her and Flick are together. And yeah, and then obviously the last main thing is that Heimlich has finally been able to realise his dream of being a beautiful <laughs> butterfly, but unfortunately because of his weight problem, uh, hasn't really metamorphosized properly, no. <laughs> so his wings are really, really small, and he still basically looks the same, but in a slightly different colour. Yeah. And then it pans out from the island, with these really inventive fireworks that they've created using these seeds exploding together. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the end of the film. Well, yeah, then you get your clothes at the end. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, the, A Bug's Life, it does feel such a better film all round. I mean, even when you're not comparing it to Ants, it's still a great film. There's a lot going on in it. There's a lot that you can read into it in terms of politically what it's saying. And as a functioning work and script, everything serves a purpose and builds towards an end goal. And in that way, nothing feels wasted. And too few films these days, I think, are are built up like that, where ideas are seeded far before they grow. Too many times we see writers put themselves in situations that they just suddenly write themselves out of. We saw it recently with Jurassic World, where the kids, for instance, uh, find themselves 
stranded in the middle of nowhere and come across a car, a broken down car that's been there for 20 years. And all of a sudden this piece of information that we didn't know before comes out that these kids know how to fix cars. This to me is just lazy writing. And I love that A Bug's Life is completely the opposite of that. If this was done by the writers of A Bug's Life, all that information that led to them being able to fix that car would have been seeded far beforehand. Yeah, I re- wish more films were like yeah, that. It, re- it really feels like they've put the donkey work into it. They've gone through every single possible avenue of this kind of story idea. Yeah. And I mean, the, the beauty of animation in a way is that because it's the product of many, many people working together on the story visually on a storyboard all the avenues should be explored Mm -hmm. so the story itself ends up being very watertight it's a really good film to demonstrate how pixar works as a unit yeah because again the script and all the characters but a couple of little things is pretty much watertight uh, and it's very very solid yeah so now that we've given you an idea of the films that we've been looking at, the history, our opinions of the films, what they're about and whatnot, now it's time for us to really get into why these films have been forgotten. Because they are, they, they are forgotten films. Uh, a Bug's Life isn't brought up as an example of Pixar's great work and Ants is really brought up at all. Um, no, so no. I think it's interesting for us to go and have a look at the releases of these films and what kind of reception they got both at the box office and in terms of the critical reception and the public reception but also against each other because these films were about the same kind of environments and they were released only within a month of each other so yeah i'd start with ants first and say that it's opened at number one with 17 million dollars at the box office Overall, it made 91 million domestic and 171 million worldwide. And it was up against another couple of forgotten films, What Dreams May Come and A Night at the Roxbury. So it didn't really have that much competition at the box no. office. It made a, a modest opening, 17 million. It's good for the time. Overall, it was definitely a success. You can't say it otherwise. It's definitely made the money. It wasn't really a trailblazer. But if we compare that to A Bug's Life, it opened a first like on a limited release and then wide when it opened wide it went to number one with 33 million made 163 million domestic gross overall and 363 million worldwide so it made a significant amount more than ants so in terms of that trophy that katzenberg was after he's definitely lost out on it by producing a subpar effort and also to talk about the films that a bug's life was up against at the time there's again another forgotten film the George Miller film Babe Pig in the City, which I'm starting to see now that Mad Max Fury Road is out. Some people are going back to it and saying, oh, this is a great film. This is a masterpiece of a film. It's starting to hear little whispers of that. And it's definitely a film that I'd like to go back and watch yeah. myself. Yeah. It was 1998, a year of forgotten films. It really was. It, it really seems it. So that was in terms of box office. A Bug's Life definitely takes the medal in that yeah, respect. Critically, it's a real different story and it's really really interesting to see how this plays out so in terms of ants going to rotten tomatoes to sort of see the general outline it's actually still at the moment got 95 percent wow fresh rating overall and that's based on 7.7 out of 10 average rating and on imdb which does give it a slightly more conservative view now that's at 6.6 out of 10 i'd say that's fair yeah it's a more fair score 
because it definitely isn't a film that's worthy of a 95% rating. Roger Ebert gave it 3.5 out of 4. Empire gave it 4 out of 5. Total Film gave it 5 out of 5. Mm-hmm. I think it was just really um, riding on that wave of those first initial computer animated films where it was still very much a novelty. Like you said, Ants was the second released computer animated film of all time. It was yeah. the second one after Toy Story. And I do get it because at that time, critics are seeing some new form of filmmaking in the industry and they want to nurture that to fruition. And they do that by granting films like Ants leeway. They forgive it its story issues and because it's part of something brand new. And it is doing stuff that is new in the industry. In that particular um, period, people were very used to the the classic Disney Renaissance style of animated film where you'd have musical numbers and it would be very much based on classical material. Mm -hmm. So until films like Toy Story and Ants came out, we didn't see animated films that were like that. I mean, they're very much commonplace now, but it had that in its favour at the time that it was just so different. Well, to uh, contrast that as well, um, A Bug's Life actually fared slightly less. It got 92% overall average. It got a better average score with 7.9 out of 10. And to look at a couple of reviews as well that stand out, Roger Ebert gave it the same as he did Ants, which is 3.5 out of 4, and Empire gave it 4 out of 5. So these are films that critically fared very, very similarly. But I would say that the telling factor is that the IMDb score is 7.2 out of 10. So it has actually fared better in terms of the public reception. Mm. It's definitely lasted longer. It's funny to think about both of these films in context of the the overall canon of films that both of these studios has produced because they're kind of the forgotten ones of all their roster. And as regards A Bug's Life's legacy, I'd say it's a really, really solid film. Yeah. But it's probably not quite as good as Toy Story. No. And not being quite as good as Toy Story is always going to come off as second best. Yeah. And because it had that task of following up Toy Story as well, mm-hmm. people were always going to look at it in a much harsher light than Ants would be because Ants was the first film from DreamWorks, whereas Bugs Life was the second film from Pixar. Yeah. So I would say that Bugs Life is not quite as forgotten as Ants because of its position as a Disney film. It does have a certain amount of presence within the Disney theme parks. Well, the like, fact that it's got a Blu-ray release as well is yeah. is telling, whereas Ants hasn't. Yeah, Ants has never been released on Blu-ray, and it's never been released in its original form. That is, as a digital file. The actual print that we watched was a from a rather sort of grainy, grainy muddy... 35 millimeter print which drained a lot of colors mm-hmm. out of the film but it's a shame really because we can't really assess it in exactly the same way as we would do bugs life because we can't see exactly how it looked there were some issues with pixelation on a screen that we just couldn't nail down as being either an issue with the print that this has been scanned from or an issue with the actual cgi work and it's almost so as if can't... like they didn't want you to see yeah and it's all it's high definition glory because it might not look that good no yeah absolutely right yeah Bugs Life does have some presence in the Disney theme parks. Rather interestingly, Bugs Life is probably the only film I've ever seen that's actually had an attraction made for it that came out before the film did. So in Disney's Animal Kingdom in Walt Disney World, there is a attraction inside the Tree of Life called It's Tough to Be a Bug. And that actually stars quite a few of the characters from A Bugs Life, mainly Flick and Hopper. But that actually came out in the spring of 1998, so mm-hmm. a full six months before the release of the film. I remember actually going to that park over that summer and um, 
not realising that the characters in the show were actually going to be in a film. Yeah. In addition to that, there is also a Bugs Land California Adventure, which is like a very miniature play area sort of with little rides that's actually built to look like those fluorescent leaves and everything. There's still a, um, a viable presence of A Bug's Life, but even so, it's just not talked about enough within the context of when people talk about Pixar films. It's still mm. kind of seen as a lesser animal to the films that surrounded it, i.e. Toy Story 1 and 2 and Monsters Incorporated and Finding Nemo. Yeah. That first opening trope between Toy Story and Cars, really, it's always seemed to be like the lesser film in that whole group. Yeah. The thing is with me and Bugs Life is Bugs Life has definitely grown in appreciation from myself over the years because, again, I thought Ants was the better film when it first came out. I was young. I was stupid. Don't judge me. But at that time, yeah, definitely did. I, I thought that. And over the years, I've just forgotten Ants. At times, forgotten it even existed. Whereas Bugs Life has got better for me, but I completely understand why it's been forgotten. Because you only have to look at Pixar's filmography of the time and to see the type of films they were making, that anything that was less than a masterpiece was going to be forgotten. And Bugs Life is a great film. And it's a great step forward for Pixar, but it isn't quite at those masterpiece levels. I don't know what it is. It's a lot of fun. It's just slightly off focus in terms of its characters. Yeah. There's just far too many of them to really go around. And I think that's basically the only thing that really lets it down. Because um, the relationship between Woody and Buzz in the original Toy Story was so strong. And that was the main driving force of that film. Because A Bug's Life has so many characters, I think people always look down on it unfavorably because of that reason. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. As regards to Ants, I think it's one of those things where it was something they did at the time. It got them going. It set some of their mission statements going as well. But at the end of the day, it was only ever there to rival Disney. It wasn't really made with any honourable intentions. And putting it up against the film that followed it, Shrek. Critically and financially, it hit much harder than Ants did. Uh, they almost like treat Shrek as if it was the first DreamWorks film. And almost yeah. like push ants under the rug because technology wise and story wise all the elements weren't really up to scratch i think it was almost like if they felt that the film hung about for long enough people would start to realize that because it is really telling that the film hasn't had a blu-ray release it's kind of really been downsized in terms of its significance within the whole dreamworks story yeah i mean shrek is a much more balanced film in terms of the mix of pop culture references and actual story and jokes and whatnot. It's definitely a much more balanced and well thought out film, but Ants definitely did set the template for which Shrek followed. But ultimately for me, why Ants is going to be forgotten is because of that. It's because DreamWorks at that time and still kind of now were just all about the big names, the pop culture references, and unfortunately the films had no depth and no lasting effect because of that. Because pop culture references are always going to date. And that's going to give your film a limited shelf life. Yeah. And with films like Ants and Shark Tale, we see that that shelf life, it, it doesn't last. No, not at all. So yeah, I think for this one we can definitely safely say that A Bug's Life is the best forgotten film. Also, in relation to that, I would say that Ants is definitely best forgotten. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and that's all we have time for today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at B4Movies. And remember to like, share and subscribe. And for all our listeners who think that there just aren't enough racist action comedies out there, well, you're in luck. As we'll be taking on James Cameron's True Lies. 
So it's goodbye for me. Goodbye for now. Thanks for listening. It's the time of your life to live it well. It's the time of your life to live it well.